0: This is Block by Block, a community news program from WPPMLP 106.5 FM where we explore issues affecting the Philadelphia area with interviews and news reports filed by members of the community. I'm Michelle Gillard-Houston. Tonight, we'll hear stories from our community news reporters about residents of a group of townhomes in West Philly who were fighting eviction. A program for senior citizens interested in helping preserve the environment. Native American Heritage, and Transgender Day of Remembrance. Residents of the University City Townhomes in West Philadelphia have been fighting to stay in their homes since last year, when their landlord announced plans to sell the housing complex. The properties were home to about 70 low-income families who were able to afford the rents thanks to federal subsidies, but the landlord has been seeking to end the government contract that offers those subsidies. That contract has been extended several times, but it's currently set to expire on December 27th, which means rents would rise steeply if there isn't another extension. And many of the dozens of families that are still living in the townhomes say they're unable to find affordable housing in the neighborhood. Residents and community members have been fighting back in court and on the streets. This summer, protesters built an encampment on the site and stayed there for more than a month. And at a recent teach-in, community members and members of the Coalition to Save the UC Townhomes spoke about how this was just the latest example of gentrification in West Philadelphia, with wealthy landowners making the neighborhood unaffordable for long-term residents. I spoke with a long-term resident of the UC Townhomes, but before we get to that, Block by Block's Chris Hill brings us the first part of our story.
1: Unfortunately, Gentrification in Philadelphia is nothing new to us. Gentrification has been happening and displacing black and brown people since as early as the 1940s. We are continuously witnessing our homes and neighborhoods be torn down so universities can expand their campuses or to build $3,000 a month luxury apartments. Multiple areas of Philly are changing rapidly due to gentrification. Strawberry Mansion brewery town and a huge chunk of west philly west philly has been losing a lot of its land to gentrification the university city town homes are sadly up next to be taken away from west philly and the residents are facing eviction after their landlord brett Altman sold their homes They are demanding to keep their homes and to keep affordable housing for low-income people and seniors in Philadelphia, but their deadline for eviction is fast approaching. This is a hefty fight, and they are trying to reach more and more people every day to help them out and to show others how damaging and manipulative gentrification really is. Here are some powerful words from a teach-in led by the Coalition to Save the Townhomes.
2: So displacement in U-City dates all the way back to 1945 with the Philadelphia Urban Redevelopment Law, which basically created a streamlined path for universities to expand into areas that they deemed as blighted and crime-ridden. And essentially all of these tactics were used to extradite land from black communities to pave way for U10, Drexel University Youth Sciences. So with this, the expansion of Drexel University has expanded into Palatin and Mantua. And so a lot of us students should know this. Most students at Drexel actually seek out housing in Mantua and Palatin, which have actually displaced so many community members. These buildings here used to be houses, communities, a tight-knit black community but Drexel University and UPenn got legal extradition to bulldoze these houses to create these institutions. Institutions will continue to lie to your face and say, oh no, like we're the most civically engaged university in the nation, we care about our community. That's what is on Drexel University's Dornsife Center's website. It's like, we're a part of West Philadelphia and we care about the community. Well, how come it's so inaccessible? and how can you keep expanding, and how can your policies keep showing otherwise. Gentrification is just another name to fragment history, to fragment our understanding of what has been going on and what continues to go on. This quote-unquote renewal of West Philadelphia is no different than European colonizers coming over here and saying we're going to really work
3: the land and take the land away from indigenous peoples because they're not making profit off of it. Gentrification is a nice word for thievery of land. And these lands and what they do is they force the people out, they allow them to deteriorate so they can blight the area and use the eminent domain process to take it over and start their redevelopment process. And all it is is destruction of communities and it's going on far too long, and with the townhomes, this is our stand. This is where the people, the people that have made these neighborhoods thrive for many of years, this is where we have to take a stand. This is where people, even if you're not a resident neighborhood, we all know that this is wrong. We all know this is the manipulative process. We have to stand against that, and this is our stand.
0: The fight for University City Townhomes, as well as gentrification in our city, has had a profound impact on our community, forcing many residents out of the neighborhoods that have been home for most of their lives. Philly native Lynn Green, a 24-year resident of University City Townhomes, shared her personal story on how this potential displacement has impacted her life and
4: shifted her purpose into activism for affordable housing in Philadelphia. I've been living here for 24 years. But the thing about it is I was beginning to like the neighborhood because of the community, which I was looking for. Because everywhere I moved as a little girl, we had that community setting. And I found it here. You know, neighbors looking out for neighbors. When I went to work, my neighbor next door watched my children. So that was important to me. My neighborhood became like my family. So this is why we're fighting so strong to stay here because of the community. Parties, barbecues, and... People just joined together, talking. When you need help, they was just there. It was just like a family. Can you talk to me about
0: your own observations of West Philadelphia University City and what you've seen from the time you first began living
4: in University City to now? I was just speaking to my mother about that. I had said to her I was so happy because I love plants. And they have a green plant store right across the street. So I said to her, Mother, oh, wow, what? they had opened up a plant store. And I said, now they got all these stores out where you can sit out and eat. And I said, I think it's wonderful. They, you know, spoosing up the neighborhood. And she was like, well, I hate to tell you, your neighborhood's about to change and you're about to move out of there. She said, when I lived out Eastwick, my mother and all of us had to move. And she said, so you better get yourself together because that's what's about to happen where you're at. So I sort of didn't believe her, because I'm thinking like, no, they wouldn't do that. Well, not here. But then I start watching, and she was right. I start looking at the buildings, you know, around University of Penn and all the buildings around here. The corner stores that we have. I remember my kids would run from, and I noticed that that was leaving. And I'm thinking of the hair store that we like to braid our hair. That was leaving. Everything was leaving. I'm thinking like, what's going on? Then I seen the stores, like I mentioned, the restaurants where you can eat outside and and that's when I realized like wow, something is about to happen. Yep, this is it, this is what she's talking about. Then we had got a letter in the mail.
0: During our conversation, Ms. Green shared that she began to read negative comments under the stories about the University City townhomes. She was deeply struck by the comments about low-income residents and wanted to shed some insight and debunk stereotypes and false narratives about people experiencing
4: displacement due to gentrification. i tell you, I was raised to work hard. I've been working since I've been 12. Even when I came here, I had two jobs always worked at the hospital or retail. It's like stereotype people that live in subsidized housing or Section 8. They look at them as too dirty and um, lazy. And that's not true. Because a lot of mothers here, when I tell you they work very, very hard, two jobs. If you don't see them working, they're pushing the shopping cart, going to the laundromat, food shopping. Because I was taught to work, and I've been working all my life. Definitely just a bad Stereotype.
0: I was reading that there's a deadline of December 27th for residents to find other housing. Where are you at in this process and how has this impacted your life, this deadline and having to
4: move from the place that you call home? It's hard for me to say that I found the place because I didn't sign my name yet on a dotted line. But the place that I found... It's very questionable because I don't like the neighborhood. It doesn't have anything to offer supermarkets, bus stop, trains, or anything. And I'm at the age or a point in my life that I need that. I'm trying to get a place to beat the time, but the thing about it is the places that I'm seeing is not good to live in. And this whole ordeal of moving and how Altman came and told us and it has destroyed my mental as well as my physical health. I'm dealing with heart fib and panic attacks and can't sleep sometimes because I'm constantly thinking about what's going to happen next. We have no one here really to help us. They have a relocation manager to help us here, but it's no good help.
0: What is the mindset of the residents now? Do they feel like they want to continue fighting? Do they feel frustrated? What is happening right now?
4: This is why I say that we want to stay here because there's no place to go. That's why young ladies in here took places just to get out of here because they were scared that they're going to be homeless. And where they're at, they don't like it. They're scared where they're at. They don't feel as though it's fit to live in. They have children. They know wintertime is coming. They just didn't want to be bothered being put out in the streets. So they just took it. We have such a strong fight. You know, I don't have a no conversation to talk about, but the townhouse is what we're going to do next. When we had that encampment out here, which was the best thing, one of the best things that came out of it, because I met some wonderful people and didn't realize what was really going on in the world, really. You know, when you're dealing with your life, you just see what's going on with you. But then when I start talking to other people, I realized this is worldwide. This is, like, bad out here. People are suffering, really suffering. Even if I have to leave out of here December 27th, it's still a fight. That fight still doesn't stop. It's for us, but it's for the people as well. It's for my grandkids that's going to come up. So this is what this fight is for. We won't have no neighbor. We won't have nowhere to go. And that's how I feel. And I always tell my granddaughter that. Stand and fight what you believe. Because even the people that fought before us, that's why things have changed. Especially if you want to help you and everybody around you. You have to fight.
0: November is Native Heritage Month, and is part of an ongoing series of conversations with Indigenous people in Philadelphia, Block by Block's Brujo de la Mancha brings us this interview.
5: I'm Lou Thane. I am a Philadelphia native, born and raised in the Germantown Northwest section of Philadelphia. I do have many stories from my family of where we came from before we were in Philadelphia. I am a farmer by trade. I work at the Village of Arts and Humanities in North Philly and also in Strawberry Mansion, Fairmount Park area.
6: So when you said about you are native descendant, what is the picture of that? How you describe people? Because, you know, we have different types of groups, association, tribes, or, you know, and different ethnicities.
5: It's funny. I would say that I'm a mutt. Most of us are these days because we're made up of lots of things. But both of my parents are of mixed race. So my mother's side is Black and Native American. It's our understanding Cherokee Blackfoot from the coastal area of North Carolina. And my father is Scottish, Welsh, and German, Eastern European, only first-born generation in the United States. So I identify as a mutt. (laughs) And I like to take all of my lineage into account, but I do feel very strongly about the Cherokee in our lineage. It's one of the least understood areas of our family's culture and that led me on quite a journey to find out more and where our family came from before philadelphia
6: so just tell to us quickly about how was you every day growing up in philadelphia by knowing that you were a slash very different from everybody else but you know people may see you like that but you don't understand it or you understand it, people maybe not see it like that <laughs>
5: uh it was a mixed bag of Good and bad experiences, but overall, the vibe that I got growing up was being misunderstood, sort of having a question mark hanging over you, something that was hard for people to understand. And even in youth, like having young, young peers growing up, we know kids can be pretty nasty at times, but my existence seemed to cause other people confusion. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Simply because I think people, you know, they, it's like second nature to want to identify or label someone, not always in a negative way, but in a way to help them understand you better. And it was hard for me to find kids and into my teenage years, it was hard to find people to relate with. And I would say that something really positive about that is that I was able to skirt many lines of different groups and subcultures of people because I wasn't clearly defined in some way that made me an outsider. I could kind of find my way into lots of different groups of people because of that. And so that's something that I'm actually quite grateful for, just having spent a lot of time looking for the people that I wanted to relate to. I was always on a quest to meet more people, to find more people to share, to try to figure myself out as well as trying to help other people understand who I was. Growing up in my family was also a bit challenging. Depending on who you asked in my family, they would also say that they might identify with other parts of our lineage, and they might have conflicted with each other. I have many uncles and Many, many, many cousins, really large family on my mother's side. And not everyone is as intrigued or guided to know that much about our family history. And so that also created a bit of tension or even just more of a question mark as to why or why not it wasn't important to everyone just within our family unit
6: to know where we came from. So now that you are going into a different age what is the uh, things you see on the city, same thing, like a change from how it was when you were growing up? Or you still have the same kind of scene and concept of the city through your adventures and developing yourself on this city?
5: In my youth, my mother would take me to the powwows. It used to happen in Fairmount Park decades ago. And then, of course, that stopped happening. I do see that there is a lot of beautiful awareness coming in our city. And there's more things happening, like all of the Dia de los Muertos ceremonies that happened in the last few weeks. And I can see that there is something changing now for the better. But I do still see quite a struggle. I found myself always having to leave Philadelphia in order to find some kind of connection that I'm looking for or to get more information that I want or to have the sort of experience that I want. The past 10 years of my life that didn't necessarily come in Philadelphia, that came from me spending time in the Southwest U.S. and going to Mexico and spending time in Mexico and looking for that connection and that thing that's almost unspoken. It's just something that's in my heart, that type of relating. I've always had to leave here to find it, and that's always... Made me a little bitter because Philadelphia is my home. At this point in my life, I consider myself lucky now because I have formed a lot of connections and found myself on a path where those connections come more easily, more readily for me. But I think that's because of where I put myself. I've tried to align myself with those things. And so now, I can find that connection. But if I look at myself as a younger person, I didn't know what to do or where to go or where to find what I was looking for. And I feel that that's probably still the case for most people, or at least most people that haven't figured out how to get themselves in alignment or just don't have the information of or the circles or know where to go to get the experience So I think there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of acknowledgement and sharing and access to information and community. I think there's still a lot of work to be done.
6: Thank you for sharing all your experience and understanding of being born in a city where it's the first capital of the United States, where people have different experiences and people migrate and try to find a new life. And people who are part of, or less part of the continent, the northern part of the continent, are still struggling to survive, to understand themselves like everybody else who comes here. But it should be a slash different, right? It should not be like that.
0: Block by Block's Wayne Hunter recently came across an organization that's helping senior citizens find a new passion later in life. Wayne says it's a hidden gem in the heart of Germantown.
3: What I discovered is actually a gem within a gem. Founded in 1968, Center in the Park is a nonprofit community center in northwest Philadelphia, primarily focused on the needs of older people. This story is about one of those programs, the Senior Environmental Corps. Fred Lewis, one of the group's founding members, is here. Mr. Lewis, tell us about it.
7: We are a group of seniors, mostly members of the facility itself, that have the common interest of protecting the environment.
3: Can you tell us how you became associated with this group?
7: I had just retired. And as a matter of fact, I had just uh, found out about the center in the park itself. My wife and I were at the library. And on the way home, we decided we would stop at this facility and see if we could find anything of interest. Bottom line is we introduced ourselves to the director at the time, told them that uh, we had just currently retired and was interested in the activities in the neighborhood. She, in turn, felt that they offered programs that would be interesting to myself. And at the time, she mentioned that there was an effort being made to interest seniors to save the environment. And she asked, would I be interested in trying to help develop it? And my answer was yes.
3: When was that? How long have you guys been in existence?
7: Maybe 91, it might be. And I think that really it was announced to be a bona fide program in 92.
3: also had an opportunity to talk to another member of the group. David Shogo. David, tell us how you became a member and some of the things you've been involved in. I took
8: an early retirement at age 62, and I was looking for a place to be active. So I went over to the center in the park because I heard they had a uh, exercise room. And I took a look at it, and then as I was leaving, I saw a big sign that said, Do you like the environment? Join the Senior Environment Corps. So I said to myself, I like the environment. I like to be outdoors. So I went over and I knocked on the door. It turns out to be Fred Lewis's door. He had an office there in the basement. And uh, I told him I was interested in the environment. And uh, he told me that they were currently involved with water monitoring. And that sounded interesting. I said, What is water monitoring? And he said, We go to various streams in the area and we do
3: water testing. Is there any words of advice or anything you want our listeners to take with them from this interview? Yeah, more than anything, I would want
7: your listeners, particularly those close to retirement, and not know exactly how they wanna spend their entire retirement is that don't fear the fact that you're gonna be retired. There's a lot of interests and things to do and the time goes by so rapidly and you can become involved in so many civic things that certainly make retirement fun.
3: To emphasize that point, I understand that you've just celebrated a birthday. Can you share that with our listeners?
7: You, you probably could tell from the staggered conversation. I'm 95 and uh and I feel I'm very blessed with good with reasonably good health and uh a clear mind. And I certainly feel that my involvement with uh Activities like Senior Environment Corps contributed
3: to that? I'm sure that it did. For all those in the audience interested in SEC and all of the wonderful activities that the Center in the Park offers, the address is 5818 Germantown Avenue and the phone number is 215 848 7722. They also have a website at centerinthepark.org. This is Wayne Hunter signing off from block by block. Wish you all a farewell.
0: Sunday is Transgender Day of Remembrance, also known as TDOR. It's a day to remember transgender people who have lost their lives to violence. Philadelphia's William Way LGBT Community Center is holding an event Friday evening to commemorate the day, and Block by Block's Brad Linder spoke with one of the people who will be speaking at the event.
9: My name is AJ Scruggs. My pronouns are he, him, they, them, and King. I am 34 years old from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I am also a black trans man. I'm the executive director and founder of Visible Truth 365. We connect black trans folks to growth opportunities that are spiritual, personal, or professional t was actually started as a way to remember those we've lost through trans violence. Trans women of color experience so much hatred, discrimination, and even death just for existing. This time is to remember that you can be that change. You can be that difference in that trans person's life, even if you just intervene from somebody harassing them. We shouldn't have to remember the fallen because nobody is willing to stand up. That definition of trans violence has expanded to self-harm as well because self-harm usually is a direct result of negativity being thrown towards an individual leading to them taking their own lives. One of the things that I would like to bring attention to is that we've had two transmasculine youth commit suicide my mission was to bring attention that trans men do suffer as a result of others violence towards them there is a level of lack of knowledge about our community so we kind of use this day in this week actually for the trans week of what we like to call resilience to just make sure that folks are aware that you know trans folks are being harmed and murdered discriminated against bullied as a whole community. Resilience is existing when people say you shouldn't. We have fought back. We have continuously showed up. We have so many trans leaders whose stories themselves, their lives of getting to the point where they are, you know, in the office of LGBTQ affairs and at the ACLU. We have trans folks running for council members. So that's resilience in itself. such an important day within the community to recognize that while we have come a long way there's still a lot of work to do as community members as trans people as policy makers and decision makers we have a long long road ahead in order to get to the point where that day will literally be to remember those that we have lost but it won't be due to trans violence we want to be able to switch that narrative of what that Remembrance is actually remembering instead of the violence.
0: Block by Block is produced by Alice Hall, Brujo de la Mancha, John Morrison, Chris Hill, Maleka Fruin, Selena Singleton, and Wayne Hunter. I'm Michelle Gillard-Houston, and Wayne Hunter was our board operator this evening. Brad Linder is Radio News Managing Editor for WPPM, and Allison Durham is WPPM's Radio Production and Programming Coordinator. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of Block by Block featuring more stories about issues affecting life in the Philly region. And you can find past episodes of the show at PhillyCam's SoundCloud.